Welcome back to the Jewish Growth Podcast. It's great to be with you. Rabbi Ken Brodkin here. Last week, I made a phone call to help out a loved one, and I was trying to advocate for someone experiencing a challenge. But to make a long story short, I contributed to a conversation getting overheated, and I got off the phone with feelings of regret over how I handled the call. As I thought about it, I realized that regret is a difficult emotion. Maybe that's why a lot of people try to sweep regrets under the carpet. As Daniel Pink documents in his latest book, The Power of Regret, many people from across the political spectrum encourage their followers to drop the idea of regret from their vocabulary. From Reverend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, a conservative Christian mentor to Republican presidents, to the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, leaders will often encourage their followers to eschew regret. But as I reflected on my own feelings after contributing to a heated conversation, I realized that regret is a powerful emotion. As Pink documents, it's a basic part of the human experience. And what's more, given its power, this emotion can help us to rethink what we want in our future. Now, of course, regret is a basic part of Jewish life. In the tshuva process, we have something called charata and vidui, or regret and confession, If you don't feel and express regret for your iniquities that you commit against others, what is the basis of the relationship? The beauty of Torah is that it provides us with a template for human living, including how to approach our natural and powerful emotions. This week with Parshas Truma, we are starting a major section of Shmos that, at least according to Rashi, sheds light on how to harness regrets in life. So stay with us for today's podcast because we're going to discover a path to embrace our initial regrets in life and turn them to a source of personal growth. Parshas Truma is that start of the final section of Exodus, the last five Parshiot focusing on the Mishkan. And these technical Parshiot feel like a letdown after the drama of slavery, redemption, revelation at Sinai. And yet, these portions span fully 15 chapters from Exodus 25 through 40. And nestled within these laws are three dramatic chapters, Shmos 32 through 35, which depict the sin of the Cheta Egel, the golden calf. The golden calf is a classic Torah passage calling the Jewish people to task for our sins. Why does the Torah call attention to our sins? The Talmud in Avodah Zarah 5a comments on this phenomenon, why did the prophet and Shmuel teach us about the sin of David and Bathsheba, the Talmud asks. And why did the Torah teach us of the sin of the generation of the wilderness? Our rabbis explain the story of David is presented to teach us that if an individual sins, that individual ought to reflect in the life of David, who sinned and repented. And if a generation sins, the generation should reflect on the generation of Sinai and how a whole generation can first sin and then repent. Far from encouraging us to have no regrets, the Talmud points us to the notion that regret is healthy, and when we experience regret, we should look to examples of great people who regretted and that led them to something new. The story of the golden calf comes amidst 15 chapters of mitzvot pertaining to the Mishkan. And yet, there's a famous dispute between Rashi and the Ramban regarding the chronological order of events in these chapters. According to the Ramban, Nachmanides, the sequence of the Torah is faithful to chronology. The Jewish people were first given the Torah, including the laws of the Mishkan. The laws of the Mishkan then preceded the sin of the golden calf. 
According to Rashi, however, the placement of the Eagle story is one example of the idea Ein Mukdam Um Uchar B'Torah. This roughly translates as there is no chronological order to the Torah. Now, having said that, no chronological order is an overstatement. The real idea is that, at times, the chronology of events does not exactly follow the sequence of Torah passages. In our case, Rashi says the sin of the eagle preceded the laws of the Mishkan. In fact, the Mishkan laws were not only given as a response to the sin of the golden calf. Only after Israel sinned and the Almighty was appeased on Yom Kippur did the Jewish people first begin to donate their possessions to the Mishkan. It turns out then, that in the aftermath of regrets over the calf, the Jewish people received the laws of the Mishkan. But does this mean that there would have been no Mishkan if not for the golden calf? Perhaps, but that idea only goes so far. Even Rashi agrees that the laws of the permanent base of Mikdash in the land of Israel were given along with the Torah as described in Mishpatim. And so perhaps the idea is then that had it not been for the golden calf, while we still would have needed the base of Mikdash in Eretz Yisrael, there would be no Mishkan in the Midbar in the wilderness. In any case, according to Rashi, the need to immediately erect a Mishkan came as a result of the Cheta Egel, the sin of the golden calf. But why did Rashi need to make chronology complex in the Torah? The story of the Egel takes place 12 chapters after the Torah recounts us donating the Truma. Why confuse the chronology when a more straightforward reading is readily available? The underlying answer to this question is that Rashi and the Midrash he based himself on saw the Mishkan as a response to the Eagle. The whole thrust of the Mishkan seems directed to the problems that the Eagle arose. On the one hand, the calf story began as the Jewish people clamored to remove their jewelry to create the Eagle in Moshe's absence. And on the other hand, the Mishkan was created when each person whose heart motivated them to donate gave of their gold and precious items. Furthermore, much of the avoda or service in the Mishkan appears directed at rectifying the sins of Aaron. For example, Aaron must bring a par or bull for a sinna offering during the dedication ceremony. This animal is a reminder of the calf. And in addition, the purification process also calls the calf to mind. The concussion of the Mechatas for the purity ceremony is centered around the ashes of the red calf, the red heifer. This red calf reminds us of the calf, and the color red, as Rashi remarks, is some emblematic of sin. The very idea of developing a Mishkan for God's presence appears directed to the challenges that the eagle highlighted. When Israel experienced a void in the presence of Moshe, they felt the need to fill that void with an idol. The Mishkan, then, creates a place of continual connection to Hashem's presence without distracting idols. Regret is a basic part of the human experience. Human beings make mistakes, even the humans of Sinai. If we're so surprised by a mistake we make in life, maybe we need to reconsider our way of looking at things. It's okay to make mistakes because we are human. Or sometimes we just weren't ready for a given step in life at a given time. On the other hand, regret does point us to what's unique about our humanity. It reminds us that we can reframe things and develop in new ways, just like Israel did after the Cheta Egel, the sin of the golden calf. I recently heard from one of our listeners who was telling me about her divorce at a young age. And on the one hand, she described to me how she overlooked some issues while dating and 
ended up in a marriage where she experienced verbal abuse and she felt regret after going through that. But on the other hand, having been through a painful episode in life, she got much clearer about who she is and who she wants to be going forward. And she's subsequently taken important steps forward to her goals. So telling people to have no regrets is like telling someone to ignore important parts of their life. Instead, we need to get clear that while we naturally make mistakes, the emotion of regret is an opportunity to reframe and relaunch ourselves in a better way with the perspective of our past. But let's get back to the Mishkan. There's a critical component in how the Jewish people build the sanctuary. The Torah says, Daber al b'nei Yisrael v'ikhuli truma, speak to the children of Israel and let them take from me truma. From every man whose heart motivates him, you shall take my truma. The concept of all whose heart motivates them is a recurring theme through the last 15 chapters of Shmos. And according to Rashi, this phrase, their heart motivates them, is related to the idea of ratzon tov, or goodwill. The Maharal offers that our ratzon, a person's goodwill or inner desire, is a very deep part of who we are. Our will or inner desire is the essence of who we are. It's what we aspire to. It's what we really want. When the Jewish people brought truma from a ratzon tov, from a goodwill, they were expressing a deep inner desire to build a place, a sanctuary for God's presence in this world. In this sense, the despair over the absence of Moshe came from an inner will for true connection to God. And so as we stand back from this picture, we see how the Mishkan was a reframing of regret. After all, the calf did not come out of nowhere. The people experienced Moshe's delay, and they felt a void in life. And that void was not necessarily a bad thing. It did express a real need for connection to God's presence. We're simply not allowed to fulfill that void with an idol that undermines our connection to God. But the deeper need within was that place of connection to Hashem. If the rush to remove jewelry spoke to an inner void, the movement to donate truma to the Mishkan was founded on an inner goodwill. And taken in this light, regret is key. At first, it feels negative. We feel pain over not having done things differently or having missed some opportunity. And the key is not to stay in the place of pain. Regret is pointing us to a deeper desire for our lives. Like when I got off my phone call, the initial regret reminded me of how I really do want to approach sensitive conversations going forward. Or another one of our listeners was telling me that when she approaches every day with her young kids, she thinks to herself, what might she regret in future years? And she strives to be present with her family every single day with that daily motivation. And we all experience these emotions. So whether it's one phone call you wish you would have handled differently or a much bigger issue in life like marriage, regret is painful, but it's also potentially transforming. And in that light, a life with no regrets, as Daniel Pink writes, is not the way to go. A better way is to go about life and to consider regrets without wallowing in them and seeing them leading us to a better place. We fully accept that we are human. There were mistakes in our past or missed opportunities that we were not ready to take. But we also know that every day we are on this earth, opportunity from God opportunity for rebirth abounds. And so the next time that you feel regret, embrace those feelings for a moment and ask yourself this question. 
Where does that feeling point you towards in the next step of your Jewish journey? Thanks for being with me today. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.